Well, this evening we continue our study for these evening services of the Ten Commandments, and we come to the Sixth Commandment tonight. So I turn now to our scripture reading, which is just one verse tonight, and a very short verse at that. Exodus chapter 20, verse 13. But hear now the word of the Lord, which he spoke to the people of Israel at Mount Sinai, and which then he had recorded even by his very finger for Moses. And then after Moses smashed the tablets, Moses then had to carve the new ones later. And we hear this word of God, which is infallibly recorded here in Exodus for us. Again, Exodus chapter 20, verse 13. Hear now the word of God. You shall not murder. And thus ends the reading of the word of God this evening. Let's uh, seek him in prayer briefly. Lord, we do thank you so much that you have given us a written word. And we thank you for your commandments, these ten which are foundational to your revelation of your moral law. We pray now that as we consider these words of yours, that we would learn to obey them, not only that we would not seek actively to take the life of another, but that we would seek the well-being of others as the positive side of keeping this commandment. And we pray these things in the name of the one who gave his own life that we might live. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, it's a joy to discern on occasion those subtle ways in which God is working by his providence. Of course, we know that he always is, but it's uh, so wonderful uh, when we get little glimpses of how he works. Of course, all of you know the great example of that recently in in, uh, our life and uh, with Kim and me, with our little ones that, of course, if in his providence we had not, because of COVID, gotten our licensing delayed with... uh, fostering we might not have been in a position at the right time to foster the particular girls that we now uh, have had the privilege of adopting and uh, we're just so pleased at that another similar uh, providence has to do with uh, my reading of table talk some years ago Uh, there were many years ago i believe it was uh, 2011 i was preaching on the ten commandments much as i am here with you tonight and Uh, I was reading Table Talk, and right in the middle, of, as I was preparing that series of sermons, Table Talk uh, published a uh, a series, or uh, some articles, on the Ten Commandments. It was right after I'd begun uh, writing and preaching this series on the Ten Commandments, and the, the issue was titled, I think it was the March 2011 issue, titled, Oh, how I love your law, the three uses of the law, and why we should cherish them. You may have noticed that in this series of sermons, uh, now and back then, I was preaching on the Ten Commandments, also then talking about the three uses of the law. It's important to reiterate that God's moral law, as we find summarized here in these Ten Commandments, uh, has three basic uses for us. You know, the the way that I've... uh, summarize them for you before is that usually what we talk about the first use of the law is to teach us that we need a savior to teach us that we are sinners that god is holy and we're not and then the second use is for god's 
saved people who realize that and trust in Jesus Christ then, uh, to use that law then to learn how to serve the God and show him that we love him who has saved us. And a third use is the use uh, that restrains even those who are not saved from being as wicked as they possibly could. That God uses the law in its general uh, revelation to the world to, uh, to keep human society from getting as bad as it could be, and that's, of course, for the sake of his people living in those societies. As, the, as Table Talk back then put it, they, they did what some do, is they put that third use first, and they put it like this. The three uses of the law were the civil use, is what they call that third use I mentioned, uh, to keep even the reprobate from making uh, life worse for everyone around them keeping the reprobate from rampant theft and violence, and etc. There's what is often called the pedagogical use. This is what we usually uh, often call the first use of the law, in which the law is like a schoolmaster, as Paul calls it, uh, showing us how holy God is and how sinful we are. Uh, this should lead us, should drive us to Christ. And then there's what's often called the didactic use of the law, which I've presented to you as the second use of the law. The law uh, teaches those who are saved through faith in Christ how to respond, how to love, and how to obey and thank the God who has saved us. Well, this evening as we are considering the three uses of the law and this, uh, these, this summary of the moral law here in the Ten Commandments, we come to the Sixth Commandment, which is quite straightforward. You shall not murder. The New King James Version and many other modern translations, the English Standard Version, for example, translate this superbly by putting it in those very words, you shall not murder. Though most of us are probably very familiar with the Old King James Version, the translation, thou shalt not kill, which was a perfectly sound translation of the statement here in the Hebrew 400 years ago. That was a very good way of saying it back then. In general, the term killing, uh, killing in warfare, killing of animals, was, uh, that was typically denoted by the word to slay. Uh, killing was thought of more as unjustifiable taking of life, or sometimes unintentional taking of life. And so if we understand kill in that sense, then thou shalt not kill makes is a good translation. But, of course, the meaning of kill has altered slightly in the English language over the last 400 years, and people have begun uh, to think of killing as more general, just taking of life in any sense, the ending of a life in any sense. And so from that, people have drawn all kinds of outlandish and ridiculous conclusions about the Sixth Commandment. You know, everything from it being a violation of the Sixth Commandment to step on a cockroach uh, to... Uh, the Bible being contradictory. Doesn't the Bible contradict itself because it says you shall not kill and then it, God turns around and tells Israel to invade Canaan and to, to uh, kill the people in the cities there as they take the land, those who are in rebellion against the Lord. God commands capital punishment in certain cases and isn't that killing? Well, the Hebrew phrase here is actually lo tiragach. It's a, just a two-word verse in the Hebrew. And it's best translated as we have it here, you shall not murder. 
And so all of us have an understanding of the difference between killing in general and murder. Uh, Contrary to what animal rights activists say today, it is not murder to kill a cow and eat its meat. It's It's not murder to go hunting and to shoot a deer, and I'm sure that Chuck will be happy to know that, because uh, he was telling me this morning that he got a good-sized buck, a mule deer, when he was hunting in Wyoming this past week. Now, this, this word here in, in Hebrew, tiragach, it, it refers to the unjustifiable taking of human life. So it wouldn't be considered murder to kill a lamb, for example, and eat it. But this word does include things like purposeful homicide, also causing someone's death through negligence or risky behavior. So it really covers anything that would be, that would, in which case a person would be responsible for unjustifiably taking a human life. The word does not include war, Self-defense, defense of others, or executions. It just does not include those things. So a soldier or a policeman or an executioner who is killing in the lawful line of duty, if you're in a justified war, for example, the policeman who has to use deadly force to keep someone from hurting another person or killing another person or himself, uh, that That is not what this word covers. It's not a violation of the Sixth Commandment to do those things. You do not violate the Sixth Commandment if you take the life of a person who is trying to murder you. He would be in violation of it for trying to murder you, but you are not if you take his life in self-defense. The Sixth Commandment forbids the willful taking of human life unjustly. Uh, Whether one plots or premeditates murder or murders in the heat of passion or if a life is taken through negligence, carelessness, applications of this commandment in Scripture include things like building a parapet around your flat roof. If you in the ancient Near East have a house with a flat roof, well, you put a parapet around it so that when people were up there, people generally, especially in the summertime, slept on their roofs. They worked up there. They did things up there. So uh, an application of this commandment that God gave to Moses was to put a parapet around that roof so that people didn't fall off. It was care for human life. So in other words, the Hebrew term covers what we today would consider homicide, suicide, manslaughter, death due to negligence. Those are the kinds of things covered by this word. Now in each of these sermons, I've had a section on using each commandment in the pedagogical sense, right? In that sense that where God is telling us, uh, here is a mirror to show you what you're like. Have you violated this commandment? And if so, do you need to repent? Of course, if you have violated it, you do. Hold, so this holds the, the commandment up to us to show us what we're actually like, to show us how guilty we are of violating it, how much, therefore, we desperately need a Savior. We need forgiveness in Jesus Christ. So this evening, though, you might be thinking, well, uh, think of the 
the commandments so far, I'm five for five, right? I've violated them all. I know I haven't worshipped God perfectly. I, I haven't uh, ever, uh, ever refrained from turning to other things and prioritizing them over God. I've, I have indeed taken his name in vain. I've not kept his Sabbath. I haven't always honored those in authority. I haven't honored father and mother. But at least I know I have never murdered anyone, you might be thinking. Not so fast. Of course, if you have ever unjustifiably taken a human life, we know that does not by any means preclude your salvation. God saved Moses who took the life of an Egyptian in a fit of anger. He saved David, who plotted the murder of his own servant Uriah the Hittite. But even if you haven't done those kinds of things, and I think most of us have not, uh, we might be thinking, well, I haven't murdered anyone. I have not violated the sixth commandment. Well, we might first of all note that Despite the overturning of Roe versus Wade recently, our nation societally is implicated in the taking unjustifiably of the life of about 60 million unborn children. And God holds societies accountable for those kinds of things. There's no getting around the fact that in Scripture, life is said to begin at conception. And... We see this poignantly in the book of Job, for example, or Job says that if he had died in the womb, well, he can't die, first of all, unless you're alive, and he's considering himself a person at that point, God considers us a person, uh, he would have gone straight to heaven. How much better would that have been than to live this difficult life, he said. We know that people like, like Samson, the judge, was to be a... Nazarite for life. He was dedicated to the service of the Lord for life, which meant that even before he was conceived, his mother had to stop drinking alcohol because otherwise he would be considered in violation of his Nazarite vow. He was a, a considered a, an individual person by God from conception. So whatever man says, God considers abortion murder. And it's no coincidence that the church campaigned from its earliest centuries to end this horrible practice. Yes, it was something done in the ancient world as well. But we need to be sensitive, of course, to the fact that millions of women have not consciously committed murder. They have been taught that it isn't murder to do this thing. Frightened, confused teenagers, duped, vulnerable, have been taught to do this wicked thing. But, And we have to acknowledge that Abortion really has two victims, the child and the, the mother. But it is an unjust taking of human life, and as a society, we are implicated in it. We can't help but acknowledge that. But you might still be saying, well, I can't put a stop to that myself, so how guilty will God keep me of that? Well, how guilty would God hold me of that? But think also what Jesus says if you hate someone, or if you're unjustly angry, you've committed murder in your heart, our Lord says. Matthew 5.22, But I say to you, that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Rakah, that's a 
Hebrew or Aramaic word that means something like good for nothing. So when you belittle this person made in the image of God, he says, you shall be in danger of the council, but whoever says you fool shall be in danger of hellfire. In 1 John 3.15, the apostle says, whoever hates his brother is a murderer. John Calvin and others have pointed out how malicious gossip, slander, are actually tantamount to murder because damaging a person's reputation can hurt their livelihood, leave them unable to support themselves. Now I ask you, which one of us can say, I've never been unjustifiably angry with someone. I've never had any sense of hate in my heart for another human being. I've never slandered anyone. I've never gossiped. Jesus, in our reading from Matthew there, just read from Matthew 5.22, says, Anger without just cause, insults, name-calling, makes us liable to the same judgments as murder. There was a Scottish professor named James Buchanan, not the U.S. president of that name. Uh, he wrote of the fact that we are all actually guilty of the death of Jesus. He said, does not the sinner now feel in his inmost soul that if Sinai be dreadful, Calvary has its terrors too? So once he's saying there, we look at the, the, the Ten Commandments and we see what a terrible thing that is, how... Uh, how easy it is for us to violate this and know that we are liable to God's judgment for that. And remember the reaction of the people of Israel when they heard the voice of God speaking these Ten Commandments to the entire nation. What did they say? Moses, you go up the mountain and talk to God. We can't take it. We cannot handle it, God speaking to us like this. It was dreadful. But he says here, Buchanan says here, if Sinai be dreadful, Calvary has its terrors too. That if by the law is the knowledge of sin, the gospel adds its sublime and harmonious commentary that the cross of Christ is the most awful moment of heaven's justice. God is pouring out, Buchanan's saying, his entire wrath at our sin on Jesus. What a horrific thing that is. He says it's the most solemn memorial of the sinner's danger. He goes on and says, the cross, the cross of a crucified Savior, is the most powerful, the most impressive demonstration of sin and righteousness and judgment. The fact that to pay for our sins, an entirely innocent and sinless man had to suffer a painful and ignominious death, while at the same time receiving the infinite wrath of God the Father, that should make us aware of just what our sins really cost how much they offend our holy creator. And so far, if we're honest, we have failed now on six of the commandments. Just wait, we'll get through all ten of them. <laughs> Lord willing, in the weeks to come. But Buchanan goes on. He says, look once more for the same cross which wounds will also heal. The same conscience which is pierced by the arrows of conviction may be pacified by the gospel of peace. You ever have that struggle when you examine yourself by these commandments and you realize, oh, what a miserable sinner I am? 
I'm an idolatrous, blaspheming, adulterous-minded, father-dishonoring, wicked sinner. If you get stuck there, you could become quite desperate. You could fall into despair. You could get depressed. But here, Buchanan rightly says, by the arrows of conviction, the same conscience which is pierced by the arrows of conviction may be pacified by the gospel of peace. And thus, all that is terrible in the cross, when combined with the tenderness of God's mercy and the amazing, the self-denying, the self-sacrificing love of the Savior, will then only awaken convictions in the conscience to melt and change them into sweet contrition of heart. So what's he saying there? That by God's grace, what happens to the sinner who's being changed in heart by God is that we look at these commandments and we acknowledge, yes, I am guilty of, of violating them. But they also cause us to flee to Christ and understand that he has died for those sins. And then they give us such a sweet release of recognizing, yes, I may be a guilty sinner, but I'm also now a forgiven sinner. They make us contrite. They make us hate our sin. And they drive us to Jesus, these commandments do. In response to the Savior, what do we do? We repent. We turn from sin unto righteousness. And we glorify and thank our Savior God by obeying these same commandments. In relation to this commandment, means we recognize and honor the preciousness of human life. Remember, there's both a, a negative and a positive aspect to every one of these Ten Commandments. So obviously, the negative aspect here is to say, what you shall not do, right? You shall not murder. And that includes not just the unjustifiable, openly taking of human life, but also hatred of our brother. Treating another human being as if they are less valuable. It's, in fact, the, the reason that we don't consider, and God doesn't consider, capital punishment to be a violation of this commandment is because capital punishment actually shows just how valuable human life is. That if I unjustifiably take another human being's life, as God said to Noah, when man sheds the blood of man by man, his blood shall be shed. It actually shows us the solemnity and the value of human life. We don't take the life of the murderer out of joy, nor out of vengeance. We take it because God solemnly has said, the life of the one whose life was unjustifiably taken is so valuable that it demands the life of the one who took it. But as we seek to keep this commandment, there's also a positive way in which we keep each of these commandments. And here for the sixth commandment, It means we recognize the preciousness of human life and we honor it. We seek to save those who are going to be unjustifiably killed. Of course, in our society, it means that we should seek to end abortion, for example. We should recognize the equal dignity of every human being, their personhood before God. This is why I would, rather than many measures that people would like to see to end abortion, as we've mentioned that this evening, I would like to see just an amendment to our Constitution that openly acknowledges the personhood of the unborn. And if we know that unborn children are persons under the law, then 
No one has the right to take their lives. But that doesn't just count for the unborn. It counts for, for us from conception till natural death. We recognize and honor the preciousness of human life at whatever stage of life they're in. Each one of us has an equal dignity as someone made in the image of God. When someone is an image bearer of God, it doesn't only mean that we can think and we can reason like God can reason, but it means that we were made to reflect God to the world around us. Jesus teaches that to his disciples when he teaches about taxation and he he asks on the coin, whose image is is this? And they say Caesar's and he says, render unto Caesar therefore what is Caesar's and unto God what is God's. Well, this coin had Caesar's image on it, but what has God's image on it? You do. Render that to God. That means not only that I offer myself to God, but it also means that I honor you as someone who also bears the image of God, someone who reflects God's very being to the world around you. God created us to do that. How, therefore, could I possibly, in good conscience, treat you as less than valuable? For what you really are, you are a bearer of the image of God. It also means, as our catechism teaches, that we use every lawful means of preserving our own life and the lives of others. Not unlawful means, but every lawful means we should use to preserve the lives of others. And I'm glad that that our catechism reminds us of lawful means, so so we don't, to use again the example of abortion that I used earlier, so we, we don't go and murder abortionists. That's not the way to solve this problem, but we should use every lawful means to preserve our own life and the lives of others. Because your life and every other human being's life is valuable. It's of great value. We don't, we understand from scripture that that's a, as much as we should value the creation that God has made, we know that the life of a cat or a dog or a cow or a pig is not worth that of a human life. In fact, Hebrews makes that quite clear when, it, when the letter to the Hebrews tells us the blood of bulls and goats cannot pay for human sin. Why? Because a bull or a goat isn't worth a human being. Only a human can pay for human sin. And only a human being who's also God has infinite value then can pay for the sins of all of his chosen people. When we realize that, then we recognize that each human being in God's eyes is of incredible value. And so it should spur us on to recognize also then that we have the responsibility to obey the sixth commandment not only by not taking human life, unless it is justifiable under those rare and sad circumstances. But it also means positively obeying the commandment by recognizing the preciousness of every human life 
and using every lawful means to preserve it. Well, let's pray. O most gracious God, we do recognize that we stand guilty before you of violating your commandments, yet you have laid on Jesus Christ the iniquity of us all. We do pray that you would teach us to respond in obedience. In terms of this commandment, we ask that you would help us more and more to recognize and honor and preserve human life by every lawful means, that we would work to instill in others a recognition of the equal value and dignity of every human being from conception until you determine the end of a life on earth. We pray that we would all the more show our love for Christ through obedience of this commandment as we learn to love neighbor and especially to love your people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.